All right. Um, way back, probably in the 70s, there was a movie that came out that took the world by storm called The Exorcist. You remember that? Remember that movie? That was probably one of the first ones that really dealt with... Uh, the subject of demon possession, casting out demons, and so forth. And it, um, since that time, there have been many movies that have come out um, that have taken that same theme and, and done something with it. But the problem is that most of us as Christians, when we talk about spiritual warfare, that's usually the image that we have. We think that that's what spiritual warfare is. And so, therefore, it kind of is something that we're not involved in or we don't think that we're involved in because... How many of you have ever cast out a demon or had, you know, been involved in that, that sort of thing? So we think to ourselves, spiritual warfare is that part of the Christian life over there, that part of Christianity. That doesn't really affect me. So anything having to do with the subject of spiritual warfare really doesn't apply to me. But it does because that's really not what spiritual warfare is all about. This is spiritual warfare, something that takes place each and every day in your life. It's a constant battle that you and I have with spiritual forces that we can't understand and spiritual forces that have more of a, an influence on us than we realize. This is the reason why so many of us struggle at times with sinful impulses and ungodly choices that we make. It's why we struggle with fear and doubt and insecurity and all the things that we as Christians sometimes face in our lives is because of what's going on in the spirit world that we don't quite understand and aren't aware of. And because of that, we fall victim, uh, we fall prey to a lot of things that we just don't understand. But God wants you to understand it. This is the reason why God has written in the scriptures so much about the subject of spiritual warfare. Now, you need to understand something about the devil and demons and that sort of thing. Um, this is real. This is real. And it, uh, again, we, t we tend to look at it sometimes as fiction, but it's not. When we talk about the devil, you've got to understand that Satan himself does not have the same attributes that God has. God is omnipotent, all-powerful, all-omniscient, all-knowing. He's also omnipresent, meaning that he can be everywhere at the same time. Satan can do none of those things. And so to say that you and I have ever encountered Satan probably is not really true because he can only be one place at one time. And I don't know how much time Satan spends in the city of Athens and in Dogwood Church. But what he does have are the millions of demons that are at his access. And when we talk about satanic influence, we're usually talking and referring to that involvement, um, the demonic involvement in our lives. Now, you need to understand, we, at the very core of our being, are spirits. That's who God says that we are. We are covered in a shell called the body, but we, the very essence of who we are, the real us, we are a spirit. In this life, we relate on a physical level, things that we can see and hear and touch and feel and smell. That's how we relate to people, um, how we relate to the world around us. And so if I can't touch it, feel it, sense it in some way physically, then to me it's, uh, it really doesn't matter. It's not relevant to my life. But what you've got to stop and realize is that it, what the Scriptures is teaching us is that you as a spirit living in this body are heavily influenced by other spirits. I don't understand this. You know, I really don't comprehend all of it. 
and the, the influence that is there is something that um, takes place in a, in a level that few of us realize. You know, an indication of this is when there's a verse in the Bible where um, it may be Paul or something saying that the, the Spirit of God communicates with my spirit to convince me that I am really a child of God. And so how does that work? How does his spirit communicate with my spirit? I don't know. Not completely. I have some ideas. And if that's true, then we're also told in the Bible that on a spirit level, there are demonic forces that communicate with our spirit. So you begin to ask the question now, okay, so how does all this take place? Well, here's what I see in Scripture, and here's what I've concluded, that we are influenced through our thought life and through our emotions. Because that's how spiritually we're relating in a spirit world. The thoughts and the emotions that are altered and uh, changed. How many times have you ever had a thought that just pops into your mind and was an evil thought? You thought, oh my gosh, where did that come from? Why did I think that? Why am I feeling this way? Why am I always despondent and despair and fearful and anxious and all these other things that sometimes we we deal with in the Christian life. Why do I have so much trouble believing that God loves me and cares about me? Why do I struggle with the doubt and all of these things that that we we deal with? Well, why is that? Well, because somehow in the world of the unknown, in the world of the spirit, that I am being affected and I am receiving and somehow I am being manipulated in my thought life and in my desires and my emotions and what happens is this and this is why it's so important that you understand this because eventually we will act on what we feel you see i don't care what anybody says satan cannot control you you understand that he can't so you cannot say in effect that satan has made me do that satan made me do that terrible thing well no he didn't you did it it was your choice but you were motivated and moved to do it because this is what you're thinking and feeling. And you can't quite put your finger on it. You can't quite understand it. But now let me show you some scripture that at least will give you um, some credence to what I'm give some credence to what I'm telling you, and you'll understand it a little better. For example, in First Chronicles chapter twenty one, verse one, it says this. Now listen. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census. Now, the situation is this. God had told David, don't count the people of Israel, don't count your soldiers. Why? Well, God didn't want David counting on his power. He wanted David relying on him. He said, it doesn't matter how many you've got, I'm going to take care of you. But for some reason, and all the only thing that we're told here is that Satan rose up against him and incited him to do it, David took the census and it cost thousands of lives as God dealt with Israel. Why did he do it? Because somewhere in the recesses of his thinking and his thoughts and his emotions, he was motivated or stirred to make this choice. Now, was it out of a fear? Could have been. It could have been fear. It could have been pride, you know, because he began to feel proud about himself and wanted to know what he had done and count his soldiers. I don't know. But Satan had a direct access to, spiritually speaking, to the mind of David and incited him to do this. Okay, here's another one. John 13, 2, this is at the Last Supper. The evening meal was in progress. 
And the devil had already been prompted, or I'm sorry, had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. All right, so the meal is in progress, and it says here that the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. How did that happen? Well, in his mind, in his emotions, in his feelings. He had been tempted and prompted and moved in some way, coerced to betray Jesus. Why, why would a person who had been with Christ for so long and seen so many things, why would he turn on him? It doesn't make sense. But it does if you understand what took place. And the choice was Simon or, or Judas's and nobody else's. You can't blame the devil for it. But the motivation behind it was certainly satanic. Here's the one last one. It's in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 4. Paul makes this statement. He says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Blinded the minds of unbelievers. In other words, he has altered their thinking. Don't understand all that involves. But in some way, on a spiritual level, there has been uh, satanic attacks on people, the unbelievers, and their minds have been twisted and distorted. Doesn't surprise you, does it? Really, all you've got to do is look at the news and you can say that. What in the world are they thinking? How did they ever come to that conclusion? Why did they make that choice, you know? Well, there's only one explanation. So the question then becomes, what do we do? As believers in Christ, what do I do as a believer in Christ and, and concerned about spiritual entities involved in my life? and the involvement and the, the effect that they have on me, and how do I combat this? I want to share with you three things, okay? Now, these three overlap, and they're intertwined, but I'm going to separate them out, and we'll pull them all back together again at the end. But I'm going to separate them out and look at them for a moment. Number one, here's what I would tell you from Scripture. I would tell you that we have to stand our ground. When it comes to spiritual warfare, this is the big-ticket item that God tells you to do. Now, please understand, God doesn't tell you to go out looking for Satan. God doesn't tell you to go out looking for trouble. God says he's going to come. Don't you worry. All you've got to do is be able to stand your ground, and that's what I want you to do. The Bible tells us that Satan is the father of all liars. That means that he can take something that is an absolute falsehood and make it look so good and make you believe it. And this is what you and I have got to understand because we are continually being bombarded with messages that tell us that, that evil is good when it's not. But yet some of us at times believe it, don't we? And we think we're missing out on something and we make ungodly choices that cost us dearly. There's a verse in Scripture I want to read to you. It's in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. It says this, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now this is talking about what God has done with the satanic powers that are in the world. He said that he has disarmed them, and he's made a public spectacle of them, and he triumphed over them at the cross. Well, how did that happen? What does that mean? Well, basically is this, that before the cross... Satan could take and charge you with things and hold things against you and cause you to doubt your relationship to the Lord because you weren't real sure where you stood with the Lord. But after the cross, he has made very clear and plain to us that he's taken care of the sin issue and he has removed that 
bit of guilt, if you will, from mankind. And at the cross, he paid the price, and he cut Satan, basically cut the authority and the power and the the influence that he has over us. He took it away. Now, let me explain something to you. Let me give you this illustration, okay? Now, I've I've shared this with you before in various other messages on similar to what we're talking about here. But pretend for a moment that you are walking down the street at night, and a mugger comes up to your back, and he puts a gun in your back. He says, give me all your money. And you're horrified. You're scared to death of being killed. And so you just give him everything you've got. And you look around and he's gone. And you go home and you're shaking in your boots. You are scared to death. A week later, you're back out walking the streets and going shopping or doing whatever. And all of a sudden, somebody comes up behind you, puts a gun in your back and says, give me all your money. You recognize the voice. You know it's the same person. And you're about to reach in there and get your wallet, and you're standing in front of a department store, and there's a plate glass window there, and you see the reflection, and you happen to notice that he doesn't have a gun. All he's got is his finger stuck in your back telling you to give, you, give him all your money. Now all of a sudden, things change. And all you do is you turn around and you confront him because you know that he can't kill you, he can't hurt you, and all he does now is run off because he has no power or authority over you to control you. At the cross, Jesus broke the power of Satan over you. He has nothing left. And, but here's the, the strength now of what he does, and here's where his power lies, is it, it lies in the lie that he tells you. See, the lies that he tells you that causes you to be afraid, causes you to doubt God, causes you to have anxiety, causes you to fear, whatever it may be, that's where the power lies. And, and, and let me say this, that Satan has no power over you except what you give him. It's like the guy being robbed. Once I know the truth, then I am not going to be taken advantage of again. And there's too many of us as believers who are being taken advantage of each and every day because we don't know what the Bible teaches. We don't understand what we're up against or how it works. Now let me read you now some of the scripture in our passage in Ephesians because that's where we're at. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning with verse 10, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that, and I'll understand this, you put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, he's not talking about in heaven. The heavenly realms is a reference to the spirit world. The realms in which, the, the, wherever the spirits are existing. The heavenly realms, he refers to it. That's where they are. And notice that he says you're going to put on the armor of God and you're going to take your stand. That's important. Now let me read you the last verse here in verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, in other words, Satan comes calling, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. What is it that God wants you to do when it comes to the subject of spiritual warfare? How do you fight this? you are able to stand against it when it comes and call a lie a lie and believe what is true 
and not give in to the temptations that are going to come and to the lies you're going to be told. When we talk about spiritual warfare, it is not you putting on a silver cross that has no bearing on a demon or Satan or anything else. It is not you reciting some magic chant or some magic special prayer you learned. That's not what we're talking about. It's not about you being having a little vial of holy water from the Jordan River. It's nothing but muddy water. There's no power in it. But yet there are all kinds of things that we conjure up and we think of that would help us in this battle against spirit, the spirit world. And you've got to understand that the spirit world has already been diffused, disarmed. And the only thing they have against you now is the ability to control you through the lies that you allow them to tell you. They converse with your spirit and they tell you these lies. Here's the second point. How do I combat this? I I take my stand or I stand my ground. Here's the second thing that I want you to see. We have to realize that this fight is spiritual and we can't fight it. Again, we're just overlapping here. But the fight is spiritual and I can't fight it. And see, this is where Christians get off track, I believe, sometimes. Because we think that somehow God's called us to go out there and find him and just beat him up. I pray to God I never see the old boy personally. You know, I don't have any desire. And so that's not what he's talking about. He said this is a spiritual battle. Look at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. He's telling you, you be strong in my power. You don't have anything. But I do, he says. In verse 12, he says that we're fighting against the spiritual forces of evil. These are, this is a spiritual battle. Listen to this verse. It's in, verse, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. That's what's in you. He fights the battle. He protects you. He puts the hedge around you. He guards you. You will never, ever be possessed by a demon. As a believer, you never will. That's not possible. Because he that is greater than the one in the world lives in you. That's the authority of Scripture. But we can let ourselves be manipulated through lies. And see, this is where we make our mistake. And this is what we're talking about here today. Let me read you this verse. It's a verse that we don't often think of in, re- in relation to this context, this subject matter. But listen to the verse. Let me explain it to you, okay? Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Here's what it says. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, notice what it says at the beginning. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. Don't think like everybody else. Don't let the world influence you. Don't let the demonic forces through television and radio and network media and everything else that you're battling every, each and every day, don't let them influence you to, we, to where you start conforming to that. He said, but instead, here's what you do. You're going to allow yourself to be transformed. 
Now notice it's not something you do, it's something that's done to you. Be transformed. How? Well, the renewing of your mind. Now see, here's where the Bible is won and lost, is right here. Because you see, God tells you things, and he's warning you that the enemy is going to be in here and in here somehow through the, the, the messages that are sent, and we don't fully understand it, I admit that. But each and every day we're bombarded by sinful impulses and messages that come right out of the pit of hell. And he says, you've got a choice now. You can give in and conform to this, or you can change the way you think. And you need to understand that when we talk about the armor of God and putting the armor of God on, this is you changing the way you think. So this is why it's important that you understand this. See? This is why it's important that you understand what God is saying to you and me when he says to us that we're to put on the armor of God because what he is saying to you is you've got to change everything about the way you think and understand what's going on. It's almost as if whenever we get on board with this and we understand the enemy, we understand how to fight it, how to stand up against it, it's like we unleash the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's like he just takes over. As opposed to the opposite, which the Bible talks about, when we give in, we quench the Spirit. How many times have we quenched the Spirit? Many, many times, I'm afraid, because of the way we think and the things that we do because of it. Here's point number three. Let's get into this in just in the time we have remaining. We use the spiritual armor that God has given us. This is what God has told us to do. Make use of this. Now, I'm going to go through this, but I'm not going to be tedious about this, okay? I don't really care about the imagery. We're not going to talk about what a breastplate means and a belt means and all of that. I'm not interested in that. It's, a, it's an image that he creates here to try to get you to understand the armor. Um, what I want to do is get to the heart of what he's telling you to employ into your life or to make a part of your life. So here we go. Let me read in Ephesians 6. I want to read verses 14 through 18. He says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled about your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Now, I'm just going to stop there because he just goes on and talks about different things to pray for, and you can read that for yourself. What I want to do is in the few minutes we have remaining is this. Look at each of these items and talk about it. For example, the first one is truth. He says you put on the belt of truth. I don't care about the belt. I want to look at the truth, okay? This is where we... we this, if, if, I could ta- if I could say to you, let's take one and make it a priority in life, it would be this one, okay? And here's the reason why. If Satan is lying to me, and this is, my, this is my danger, believing the lie and following along with that, if that's the case, then the antidote to that is the truth. See, I've got to know the truth. For example, I need to know who God is because Satan's going to tell me lies about him. 
That's what he did with Eve. He said, did, did God really say that? Is that who God is? Don't you want to be smarter than God? God's just trying to hold you down. He does the same thing with us. And you'll be amazed because you begin to think in your mind that God is this horrible, horrible person that might remind you of your dad who was overbearing when you were growing up. And every little thing that I do, God's going to zap me for it because God, at the very heart, doesn't really care for me anyway. How could He? And again, these are the things you're running through your mind. How could He? If anybody knew what I did in private or if anybody knew the secrets that I hold, they wouldn't like me. So how could God like me? If anybody knew my past and what's happened to me in the past, Nobody could love me, neither does God. And we go through life with all of the doubts and all the fears and all the insecurities because we keep believing those stinking lies. And God says, you want to stand against that? Then you've got to know the truth. You've got to know the truth about who you are. This is why I preach so much about grace and your identity. You've got to know this because this is what enables you to stand against the lies that keep coming through your mind. To know that God, the God of the universe loves you. The God of the universe sent His Son to die just for you. That He says that you're my child and you're, you're on your way to heaven and nothing's ever going to change that. That my grace is poured out all over you. That I give to you my Holy Spirit that lives within you to empower you, to guide you, to strengthen you. Satan says... No, that may be true for those guys over there, but not for you because we all know who you are. Don't believe it. But what you do believe has got to be grounded on the truth. You see, it's not a matter of just convincing yourself, oh, I don't, that's not true, that's not true. It's standing up and saying, I know it's not true because right here it tells me who I really am. It tells me the truth about salvation. When Satan says you're not good enough for God to love and to save and to forgive, you've got to know that Jesus was. So truth is so vitally important. This is how I stand. When the, when the, when the negative thoughts and lies come into me in some form or fashion, I've got to be able to stand on the truth of what I know that God has told me, what is true. Here's the second thing, and that is righteousness. He says you put on the breastplate of righteousness. Well, what is he talking about? He's talking about your lifestyle. He's talking about the choices you make every day that either unleash the Spirit of God to work in your life or quench the Spirit of God. You do it every day. I do it every day. We hear the voices. We, we, we hear and feel emotionally that we're missing out on something, that we want something desperately, and we pursue it. You find out it's a trap. Lives are destroyed. The Bible talks about strongholds in your life. It's almost as if once you open a door, just a window, a crack, to let Satan in because you begin to believe what he's saying. It's all of a sudden, it starts affecting every other area of your life. But it begins with that stronghold, that beachfront, if you will. But righteousness is so important because what you do in this life and the way you live life and the godly choices that you make enable the Spirit of God to just well up inside of you rather than you pushing the Spirit of God down by the sin in your life. 
And when God wells up and takes full strength in your life through His Spirit, then everything changes. You know, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, joy. Well, this is the exact opposite of what Satan's trying to get it, to bring about in your life. How am I going to get joy? Well, only God can generate this. Only God can hold him back. Only God can keep him away. Only God can give me peace. But if I continue to make ungodly choices, then I'm suppressing the power of the Spirit in my life. This verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says this, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. See, there's the formula. I demolish the arguments and the pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God in my life. The lies I hear, no, I'm demolishing those things. How? Well, I take captive every thought. I say, is this really true? Is this what God said? And I make those thoughts obedient to Christ. I just don't believe it. And I go on with my life. You see, this is where we as Christians have missed the boat because we keep thinking that spiritual warfare is some this big something or other. It's a, it's a power encounter where we go out and slay the dragon and all of a sudden we out looking for the dragon and the dragon's done bit us. And uh, we just didn't see it coming. Number three is this, being involved in kingdom work. I want to read this verse to you. Um, This is part of the armor. It says, And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. I often wonder, what is that verse saying? What does it mean? And how does it relate to the armor? Well, he's obviously talking about the footwear. And you put these shoes on so that you can get moving. The whole idea is that the gospel of peace and me, I'm taking the gospel of peace. I'm involved in ministry. I'm taking it out, so to speak. That's part of the armor. That's how I stand. Now, you need to understand the, the, import of, or the importance of this and what it means, okay? Because so many times, we as Christians, we sit there and we don't do anything. And we wonder why things aren't going well in our lives and why we're struggling so much with depression and anxiety and bitterness and unforgiveness and all these things, self-esteem. God says, hey, you need to get moving. You want to stand against Satan? You want to keep him at bay? Then here's how you do it. You're involved in the ministry. You're reaching out to people. You're loving people. You're not just sitting back watching. This is part of your armor. This is how you stand. This is what keeps him at bay. Because while I'm walking with the Lord and I'm believing what He says in truth, the Bible says, and I'm walking in righteousness and I'm involved in the power, the work of the kingdom, yeah, Satan is just sort of pushed aside. Here's the fourth, the fourth thing that I want you to see, and that is faith. You take the shield of faith, it says, basically I'm trusting you, Lord. I hear these voices. They tell me one thing, but I'm trusting you. Lord, you're telling me to go reach out and do something that's really stretching me. I'm going to trust you, Lord. And every time you trust God, you're putting Satan in the back seat. You're saying, away with you. Number five is assurance of salvation. 
talks about putting on the helmet of salvation. He's not telling you to get saved every day. That's not what he's saying. He's saying you put on the helmet of salvation as you go out to stand against the devil. Guys, you've got to be absolutely convinced that God has saved you. And I'm not talking about you doubting yourself every day. I'm talking about you taking a stand in the reality of what you know. I know what I know. Everything I do is grounded in my absolute assurance that I am saved from hell and bound for glory. Everything I do in the Christian life is motivated by that. People who don't have that assurance, the Bible talks about they're just blown from one wave to the next and by every wind of doctrine and, you know, things... Just an insecure way to live. Assurance is so important. And you've got to understand what the gospel is. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and stand on that every day. Understanding that you're a child of God and nothing can touch you. Only you can allow it into your life. And we're trying to prevent that. Number six is the word of God. This is very similar to the first one, truth. I've tried to understand why they're both there. What's the distinction between them? And I don't really know. I have an idea here. Truth is basically looking at the the biblical truth of, of who God is and who we are and what salvation is and so forth. But he says you've got to take the word of God, the sword of the spirit, so to speak. And each and every day. You take this with you. Now, here's what I think. I think that it's talking about each and every day you're going to be confronted with lies in your life that you can take the Scripture and what you know to be true and deal with those things. Let me give you an example. Now, Jesus did this. Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and finally he was ready to be tested, and Satan took him and he began to test him. This is what God the Father said to do. So Satan takes him. He says, hey, why don't you, you're hungry, aren't you, after 40 days? He said, you're probably starving. Why don't you take those stones and make them turn into bread? Because you're the Son of God. You can do this. And he's just taunting him. Jesus' response was always, thus saith the Lord. I could do that. There's no doubt about it. But my father told me this. And here's what the Word of God says. It says that thou shalt not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So God told me to go out here and be hungry and to be tested, and that's what I'm going to do because God told me to, so I'm not going to obey you. I'm going to do what God has told me. He took Scripture that applied to the situation and quoted it and said, no, away with you. The second temptation that he he throws at him is this. He takes him up to the highest point of the temple. He says, now, why don't you throw yourself down? Because you're the Son of God. Now, I think he's appealing to pride here. I think he's trying to appeal appeal to Jesus' pride. But God will, the Father will send angels, and they'll hold you up, and nothing will happen to you. And I'm kind of ad-libbing here, okay? But I would imagine Jesus said, yeah, that's true. He would. Except that he also has said in the Word of God, not to test him. And so this is just ridiculous for me to try to test him that way. And again, he answered with Scripture. Third thing, he says, why don't you bow down and worship me? And if you worship me, I'll pull back and you can have the world. I won't bother anybody else ever. 
And he said, well, that's all well and good, but my father has said that I'm to worship nobody but him. So thus saith the word of God. In each and every situation that arose in his life, he had the word of God, what God has said to me, to counter that. Now, guys, this is why you need to know the Scriptures. Let's take situations in your life that arise in the course of a day in which if you don't know the Scriptures, you're going to fall prey to ungodly thinking and sinful acting. Okay? All right. The big debate about abortion today. You take and you think, okay, the the temptation you're going to feel is this, that those poor women have every right over their bodies. And those women have every right to take the life of that unborn child if they don't want it. It's inconvenient. They can't take care of the child. It's only logical that they should be allowed to take the life of that child. Makes sense. You know, you feel for them. The heart goes out to them. And then, because you know the Word of God, you'll say, but wait a minute. The Word of God says that life begins at conception. And David talked about how he was formed in his innermost being while he was still in the womb. That God knew us before we were ever born. He called us by name. And he knit us together there. And so because the Bible says that, as much as you're pulling at my heart strings, I cannot support abortion because of the Word of God. Mm. Same-sex marriage. See, this is big in the news today. Two people love each other. Why not let them get married? Why not just agree to it? Why not just give in? Why not just say, okay, it's okay in society to do that because you want to be compassionate. And believe me, I know people in this lifestyle and I love them dearly. But the Word of God says, you know, and then you quote the truth, male and female, He created them. Man and woman marry. It's not being uncompassionate or lack of compassion. It's not being cruel. It's just saying this is what the Bible says. It could go on and on with everything that we're going to face in this life and every question that will ever arise and everything where the world is trying to pull at your heartstrings and convince you that if you are a compassionate Christian, you would go along with this. And all you have to say is, Thus saith the Lord. It has nothing to do with compassion. But I know what the Bible says. Number seven, he just goes on and he says, now over all of this, just pray like crazy. Just pray for everything. Pray for each other. Pray that God would strengthen you. Pray for me, he says, as I go and present the gospel. Just pray. So all of these pieces of armament, this is how we stand against what's coming. And if you don't stand, you're going to give in to it. You're going to fall victim. But this is how you do spiritual warfare. You take the armor, you put it on, and you stand. Let me read you this one verse, last verse pertaining to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 4. For though we live in the, in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary... They have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
the weapons that we have have divine power to demolish satanic strongholds where I I have let Satan into my life. What's he say? That when you begin to put on this armor and begin to plug in these disciplines that we've talked about this morning, life changes for you. Life changes. Emotionally and spiritually and sometimes physically because we are so ill from what we are doing. Life changes. You and I have got to take a stand against satanic forces that come into our lives. And the way that we do that is, first of all, we stand our ground. We don't give in. We realize that it's up to us. We understand that it's a spiritual battle and only God can fight it. You and I can't. We just are to be able to put on the disciplines and allow God to do his thing. And then you cover yourself in the armor of God, as God has talked about. When we do that, Satan does not have a chance against us. That's what God wants. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you this morning, Father, we are overwhelmed with the reality that we are in a spiritual battle. Father, forgive us where we have lost sight of that. Forgive us where we thought that we were educated enough and smart enough to fight it ourselves. Heavenly Father, help us to to submit to you, to realize that you have the way of doing it, that your way is the only way, and that our lives, the things that we're doing, and, and whether it's the faith or, or the truth, knowing the truth, knowing the Bible, living a righteous life, these things, we need to understand that when we make these things a part of our lives, that we are unleashing the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that's when things begin to happen. And that's when we begin to think differently, feel differently, act differently. Father, help us to be that people. Help us, Lord, to be transformed as we change the way we think about this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.